Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Todd Simpson, the Food and Drug Administration's Chief Information Officer. Todd, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. So we have caught up, you and I, over the years, uh, several different interviews, several different things. So usually when I start out, I like to ask background and stuff like that. But I'm just going to jump right into the discussion today, Todd. And uh, I want to talk about cloud because that is a, a major initiative for you guys. But even more importantly, it's something that you're seeing a ton of progress. So let's just say where you're at today with FDA's move to the cloud. Give us a status update. We developed a cloud brokerage model over the last 18 months that's comprised currently of six different cloud service providers. And each of those cloud service providers has been through our security gauntlet and has received their authorization to operate. And um, we're currently flushing out the procurement path for our customers to really be able to leverage those those uh, cloud service providers a little bit more effectively, you know, in terms of setting up BPAs and and um, the conduits, so we can do more bulk volume um, purchasing off of our cloud brokerage model. But within that cloud brokerage model, we have, of course, platform as a service, we have software as a service, and we have infrastructure as a service. And um, the, the the different cloud service providers provide a mix of those services. One thing about the cloud brokerage model, and I've heard this from one or two others, uh, CIOs over the last maybe month and a half, two months, it seems to be gaining some popularity. Is this where you have one or two or however many vendors at the front end that you say, hey, we need platform as a service. I just made that up. And they are the one, and here's our requirements. Here's what we want to do with it. Here's what our business outcomes are. And then they take it from there. Or how does the brokerage model work? The way that it works is when we built the cloud brokerage model, we worked across the organization and we mined the requirements from all of our different customers. And we looked at what our centers were already doing. And a lot of our centers had already embarked on their own journeys um, toward the cloud. And of course, they, they needed the authorizations to operate. They needed the um, leadership support to, to make um, that journey you know, complete. So that's pretty much where the, uh, the office of the chief information officer came in and, um, and said, look, let's formalize this model and let's make sure within the model, we have all of the appropriate tools that we need so that everybody's requirements are met. And um, and we, it's it's actually you know it's the end result of a governance model because what we're trying to do with that cloud brokerage model is identify basically all of the possible options for development, hosting, um, and the provisioning of these different cloud environments. Platform as a service is very different than software as a service, and it's very different than infrastructure as a service, and our varying competing needs out there are just that, competing and wide. So uh, we have some scientists, for example, that just need to, to have an environment where they can spin up servers and um, and where they can bring environments up that maybe will only last for a few months. We have other customers out there that have a need for 
actual systems that are going to become part of the, the overall mission of the FDA for a long time to come. And so for those customers that, that want to develop in the cloud, we have the, the software as a service avenue. And I think two of our six cloud service providers currently provide software as a service. And then at the other end, for the infrastructure as a service piece, we have, um, again, two different cloud service providers in our cloud brokerage model that provide just that infrastructure as a service for the customers that have that very selective need. I, I don't know if that answered your question, but I, I guess let me back up and just say the broad stroke answer to that question is that we did the, the requirements analysis. We baked all that into our strategic plan, and, and then we kind of developed a roadmap for our cloud entry, and, and we developed a roadmap for what we want the cloud environment to look like, and we charted a course for that. And if we add additional cloud service providers to our brokerage model, it's going to be because the six cloud service providers that are in there today aren't adequate, that there's something missing. So maybe there's something new that we need and, and those six that we have don't provide that service. So we'll look for a seventh or we'll look for an eighth. And then what we'll do is we'll ask our customers to shop within that cloud brokerage model so that we uh, kind of drive the governance model and drive the standards. So let me just back up because what you provided was excellent background and excellent insights into the brokerage model. But think of the way I've been explained to brokerage before is insurance, right? You go through State Farm or USAA or Geico or whoever, and then they're the ones that take you to the actual insurance providers. Is the OCIO playing that front-end brokerage? It's kind of a hybrid. So it, it really depends on the cloud service provider that we're dealing with because we do have different arrangements. And a lot of this does come back to acquisitions. So we have certain vehicles to get entry into you know into these um, different cloud service providers, and so we're we're really working hard on, I guess you could call it the maturation of the model because we have the entry, and again it's it's comprised of um, a kind of a hybrid approach. We have um, third party contractors in between. We also have um, a facilitated entry where we will actually review um, new project requests, and we have a cloud advisory board that looks at the requirements of the new requests that come in and then says, well, what environment would be best for this request? Would it be an on-premise solution? Would it be a cloud solution? Or would it be a hybrid of, of that? And then the cloud advisory board will make a recommendation that will be fed into the alternatives analysis. So, you know, you're looking at your different alternatives and, and the recommendation comes out of that. And then based on that, We'll work with the customer and then secure the entry into the cloud. And then we, of course, have um, we do have some arrangements where we have customers working directly with the cloud service providers through the centers do have a great deal of autonomy. And there is embedded IT in the centers that has kind of pushed us into the cloud because they're trying to solve business problems. So they seek out these cloud entry points and they're working independently. And so what my office is really doing is trying to synchronize that environment, bring congruency to it, and then bring overall governance to it. So we have the cloud brokerage model. We, the cloud is definitely available to the customers. 
where it is today and where it will be a year from now are two very different things. But, you know, I just, I look at it as um, kind of a a journey, as I said in the beginning. And, um, you know, two years ago, we actually had no cloud presence. We didn't have a single ATO authorized to operate a cloud environment at the FDA. And today we have six different authorized cloud environments. Now, within those authorizations, we still have to, when we build a system inside that, that, uh, that, that model, we still have to authorize the system, but then there's a lot of inheritance that takes place. So the security is, um, it's, there's a trickle-down effect which allows us to, to move through our system ATO process much easier. And that's all, again, been developed as part of this cloud brokerage model. So I guess there's a lot of foundational work that's been completed, but there's a lot more work that needs to occur. There's a lot more work we need to do on our front end to make it easier for our customers to have entry. If you went out and polled a typical customer, um, I'm not 100% sure what they would say. They would probably say, well, when I need to do it, this is what I do. This is how I spin up more servers in my infrastructure as a service cloud environment. But if you ask another customer in another center, you may get a a very different answer. So again, as we move with the um, maturing of this, I think that we're going to have um, a very common entry path that's going to be developed over the next six to eight months. All right. Now that helps because I think it shines a little bit of light on how the process works because again, brokerage means so many things to so many different people. Let me talk a little bit about that governance model a little bit. I think even though I want to go deeper into the cloud pieces, but I think that, as you said, the advisory board is such a key piece to helping the FDA move into the cloud. Give me a sense of, of who's on that advisory board and how does it work. And and I, we're going to have to bring up FATARA, you know that, <laughs> the Federal IT Acquisition Reform Act. I think that probably plays a role in this whole process. I'm opposed to creating bureaucratic bodies just for the sake of creating them. So when we created our, our cloud advisory board, um, it, it, may, it may sound like um, a big bureaucratic wheelhouse, but it's really not. It's just a, it's my CTO and um, members of his staff, and that board is not some staunch bureaucratic body that's sitting in some room with dusty shelves. It's a group of people that have regular jobs, and they're doing this advisory board duty more as a collateral duty to make sure that we have that symmetry um, when we are looking at the alternatives and, and making sure that we're actually making the right decisions for the technology investments. Do they meet monthly? Do they meet every other week? Do they meet as necessary? And what kind of happens? Walk me through it, because I think a lot of agencies are going down a very similar path of of how to make decisions around how to move to the cloud, what to move to the cloud, which type of cloud to use, commercial versus government only versus kind of on-prem or off-prem. And then do the centers come to you and say, I have a need, and then that goes before the Cloud Advisory Board? Just walk me through a little bit of the process. The Cloud Advisory Board is invoked when a project is initiated. So in 2015, um, after I arrived, we stood up the Office of the Enterprise Portfolio Management, basically our our PMO office, our project management office, and we worked very, very hard to create a workflow that we could um, use to take uh, ideas from concept to production. And, um, And so as part of that workflow, when a new request 
comes in for something instead of just spending the money and and, and saying hey we're going to have a pilot or we're we're um, we're initiating a project to or we're going to do this proof of concept we don't we don't have like an ad hoc approach to how we um, do new entry into our business everything is very very methodical so I just want to take a moment to just kind of talk about the processes um, and how we do that entry because it comes back to how the cloud advisory board is engaged and everything really comes down to this PMO process so when somebody has an idea and it's maybe never been done we have an innovation lab and we um, we have an idea hub and and basically we mine new ideas um, through our innovation process Program. And our innovation program is actually separate from our CTO shop. So when somebody has a new idea, it comes into the innovation pipeline, and then it's evaluated, and there's a, there's a, procedure, a procedure that we follow uh, every single time for every new idea, and it begins with a white paper. And there's some analysis that takes place. And there's a little advisory board on the innovation side that goes through this white paper development, too. And there's customer engagement that occurs. And if the idea, it could be cloud-based. And, um, and so let's pretend that it's some cloud-based innovative idea. And we've had a couple of them that have come through. And it goes through this process where a white paper is written, and, and, um, and it's determined that we are going to do a proof of concept. That's when our proof of concept can occur. It can occur outside of that process. You talked about FATARA. This is all part of FATARA. This is about putting the processes in place so that we have transparency into how we're spending our money. I think government agencies, just my personal opinion here, spend a lot of money on proofs of concept. And and I think it's a better idea if you tie that to some kind of a strategy. So we have our proof of concept. If it passes the, the test and we have a process um, that we measure the, the, you know, whether it's passing or not, then it's handed off to my CTO shop, who also runs my infrastructure group. And it's given to my CTO for execution for implementation. So my CTO then takes this technology and um, will initiate or um, work with the customer to initiate a formal project plan. And um, that's the project intake process that we created as part of our PMO. And with intake, this is where we do the alternatives analysis, where we do the, you know, the requirements analysis. Um, and we come up with, um, you know, sometimes we have to work with the customer to really um, do a deep dive to understand what they're trying to build. And, and then it'll go into the PMO hopper, if you will, into the queue. And every week we meet, my entire team, and I'm in these meetings, and we review all of those projects. Um, we review the projects that are in intake. We review the projects that are in the, the pipeline, and we watch everything. And uh, we use quad charts uh, that look, you know, at, um, and we have the stoplight approach. So if we see yellow or red, we have to do something about it right away. And I think it's the power of that process that's allowed us to do the 50% or so execution on our strategic plan that we initiated and launched in, in October of 2015. It's the PMO that's fueling all of that movement right now. So now that I've kind of described that whole process, and it's very regimented, we're watching every project, and some of the projects on there are things like moving to a cloud-based library system or moving to um, a cloud 
cloud-based email system or, um, you know, precision FDA or maybe um, developing our cloud access security brokerage model, which is part of um, the cloud as well. So these projects, they come to us, and, and I'll give you an example of a project that, that came to us through our PMO. It, it was one of our centers um, did a, an infant formula tracking database, and um, they used uh, the, the cloud, and um, they, it went through our intake process, and it went through the, um, the requirements analysis process, and then it got to alternatives analysis. And we used this thing called ETLC, the Enterprise Portfolio Lifecycle Management methodology that, that HHS uses. So, so we have these toll gates for next steps. And when we got to the alternatives analysis stage, that's where we had to invoke that cloud advisory board. So they review all of the different options, and, and um, they worked with the customer and weighed in and said, look, you're trying to do this solution. We have this technology. Um, this particular center was fond of that of the, of the technology um, that, um, that was the best suited, we felt. Um, so it was a really good fit for everybody involved. And um, this cloud service provider came in. And this particular cloud service provider example, or the example that I'm talking about right now, was um, a um, software-as-a-service vendor who um, basically did some agile development, and we released this infant tracking um, formula um, database in nine months from conception to production. And that's a phenomenal accomplishment, but that's kind of the power of this process, um, especially when you couple it with a cloud service provider whose job it is to do agile development um, within this kind of microservices framework, and they are actually a microservice of ours. Um, you know, the, the, the cloud service provider is actually part of our overall microservices strategy. Todd, that was a fascinating description. I think it really shed some light on, as you said, a very complicated process. So thank you for that. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can talk more about the process, more about the cloud. My guest is Todd Simpson, the Food and Drug Administration's Chief Information Officer. I'm your host, Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com at 1500 a.m. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 a.m. My guest today is Todd Simpson, the FDA Chief Information Officer. Now, Todd, before break, we're talking all about the cloud, and we're going to continue that conversation. One thing you mentioned toward the end of the last segment was a very interesting concept called microservices, and I think that's an emerging concept across government. Talk a little bit about what the FDA is looking at or what you're doing with microservices. And the cloud is a great segue into the microservices conversation because the cloud is actually foundational to the microservices model. So we're moving toward this agile development methodology, as I discussed with that previous example about infant formula tracking database. And, um, and we want to be able to actively engage our customers when we're doing development so that the, um, we can get to production quicker. And, uh, and, and so it's, it's not the traditional waterfall approach. It's, it's agile. And when you couple that agile methodology with a microservices framework, and, and what I mean by a microservices framework is basically think of it as a toolbox. And so inside this microserv these microservices are things like 
I don't know, we can just pick, and uh, these are just random um, names. We could pick things like Salesforce and Appian. Uh, we could pick Java. We could pick maybe um, some vendor-specific API development type thing like um, the, the MuleSoft. Now, I'm, I'm mentioning vendors out there, and I'm not sure if, um, uh, you know, and I'm not, that's not representative of the um, FDA model. It's just an example of what a microservices framework may look like. So uh, it's just a toolbox of, of options that you can, and this is a highly oversimplified explanation of it, but um, it's basically gives us the ability then to say, well, this is an option. Um, this is the best option for developing this. This is the best option for developing um, that, depending on the specific requirements. So um, so I don't know if that answered your question, but we're, we're actively moving toward this uh, microservices framework and moving away from more of a center-centric support model where we have individualized teams dedicated to our customers, we're going to kind of break away from that and develop teams that are more modular in nature around the products and, and not the actual applications. So we're in the process of rolling that out. I just actually hired a, a new development director who's putting together the roadmap for that um, as we speak, and, um, and it couldn't be done without the cloud. And what's interesting about microservices and, and the change you're seeing, because a lot of agencies that I'm talking to are moving toward the customer, right? And the customer, instead of saying, well, we're going to just have IT, we're going to have business with an IT flavor, you're not necessarily moving away from the customer. You're just delivering services to the customer maybe in a different way, i.e., hey, there's similar needs across several different centers. This microservices approach could uh, we develop you know, capability A for this center. We could take that same capability A and develop capability A plus one for this other center. And because it's done in an agile microservices way, it can be done much more quickly. Do I, I simplified that too, but do I have the, the right concept? Yeah, I think I think you do, and and I think it's a departure from from the norm, and it's not meant to to um, you know invoke any kind of fear to the listeners or anything. But the the model today, it's as I mentioned, it's 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 centered around the the customers, but it's centered around the customers in in more of a center centric manner. So we have nine separate centers here, and our development group um, basically is broken down into nine different teams under four or five different leaders who are more or less dedicated to those centers. And, and in the past, as unfortunate as this may sound, when a request for a new project would come in, there was not always um, a lot of scrutiny that would, would be involved in the necessity of the investment or, you know, again, to that duplication phenomena that we talked about. There wasn't a lot of review. And so what we're really doing is um, moving more toward a, a shared service model of development where it's development as a service instead of development centered around teams that need to be created with every new project. Interesting concept, microservices, interesting idea. You talked about shared services, something we may talk about maybe a little later in the show as well. Let me ask you one other thing. You talked about a roadmap that's under development. When will you guys really jump in, whether you know, knee deep or, or get your 
toes wet at least, or are you already entering into the microservices efforts? We've already embarked on it, and the cloud service providers are proof of that. So we, we have the capability to um, start operating. What we really want to do is flesh out the model. And as, as, I, um, as I tell my, my customers and I tell um, the leadership in the centers that are currently doing some development on their own, it's my challenge to put those development efforts out of business and to provide a, a better, more effective conduit for providing development services. So I'm just trying to create a model that's um, cost-effective, that um, lends itself to interoperability, and that'll help curve that system duplication issue. And, and I'm, I'm kind of competing with, um, with the centers who, who as, as we talked about, have in the past went out on their own and, and kind of pushed the envelope moving into the cloud because they're trying to solve problems. Well, now they have a CIO that is um, listening to them that's aware of, of their, their problems and is trying to um, kind of get in the trenches with them and say, well, help, let me help blaze a path through this jungle for you. But in, you know, kind of a um, a joking way, I say it's my job to provide these services at such a, a good level that you don't want to do it anymore. That um, you know you want to come to me, and you know that's all about building trust, but it's also about getting the right technologies in place um, so that the model actually works for everyone. And what we don't want is to have an incomplete model. We don't want it to have pieces because as long as it has pieces, the customers will have to go out on their own to fill those holes. And every time they do that. We risk interoperability. We we risk divergence from the standard. We risk system duplication. Great points. Uh, good luck with that microservices model. I know it's it's a tough road, but as you said, it's about trust and it's about feeling the, that the CIO's office is listening. And again, I hear that so many times throughout the government. Todd, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can jump into some other priorities that's not necessarily uh, related, directly related to cloud. My guest is Todd Simpson, the Food and Drug Administration's Chief Information Officer. I'm your host, Jason Miller. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com at 1500 a.m. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com at 1500 a.m. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest is Todd Simpson, the Food and Drug Administration's Chief Information Officer. Now, Todd, before break, we spent a lot of time talking about cloud, a lot of going-ons with cloud, but you have other priorities, too, on your plate. Talk about what you're trying to get done outside of cloud or along with cloud, I guess, over the next six or nine months. The FDA has invested in uh, network optimization tools, including data analytic and trend analysis tools. We have uh, um, several proofs of concept for artificial intelligence t uh, tools that are um, – we have some artificial intelligence in play today, and we're looking to expand that. We're we're also focusing hard on high-performance computing and um, mobile evolution, as we call it. These are two um, really uh, hot areas for us here because, um, you know, of course, the high-performance computing is so important to the FDA and uh, with, uh, you know, the cloud that we talked about, again, foundational because the cloud gives us that ability to, to go off-premise with our high-performance computing environment and um, gives us a lot more options for um, maybe more streamlined investment that we didn't have 
five years ago when when those um, high performance computing environments that were that are in production today were were first being built. So you know as we get to a point where our current high performance computing infrastructure is getting a little older and um, and we're moving toward um, a more governed Fatara centric environment, this is the right time. And um, and in fact we've spent a lot of time over the last um, year just kind of building a governance model around high performance computing. It took an interesting approach into that because we we diverged from attacking it from a, a technical architectural standpoint and decided to focus strictly on the governance. We looked at the three different high performance computing environments. Uh, they were each owned by three different centers. We brought the three centers together and created a working group and um, decided that we would put all of those, you know, we talked about before the, uh, the entry into the cloud brokerage model. Well, there has to be an entry point into the high-performance computing environment. So the scientists that currently use the high-performance computing environment inside those centers, this is one of those hybrid examples of where the scientists are working directly with their centers to get entry in and out of the high-performance computing environment. Fast forward a year from now, we want it to be much more congruent. We want to have one entry point for everybody. We want it to make a lot more sense and be much more user-friendly, if you will. And um, the last piece, the mobile evolution, as you know, in 2015, we rolled out our Choose Your Own Device program. And in doing so, we were able to put tablets in the hands of our inspectors. And uh, as a result, we coupled that with some of those agile development practices that we had been discussing earlier. Something else that came out of that, we automated our field inspection process. And uh, I know I've mentioned this statistic or this metric to you once before, Jason, but um, 23,000 field inspections have occurred by the new process. And that's a direct result of our mobility program, our choose-your-own-device program that puts smartphones and tablets in the hands of our users. So now that our customers have these smartphones and these tablets, what's the next step? And that's the evolution piece. And um, and what's big, what, what the next priority for us is, I think it's BDI, virtual desktop interface from smartphone. And, um, and also the, the mobile app development, which is also a piece of that microservices framework that I talked about before. You know, I mentioned a couple of vendors that could or could not be part of the, uh, the overall framework, but there's also that mobile app development piece that, that's um, probably going to take a big portion of the framework in, in, um, in years to come. All right, so a couple of things to back up on. Uh, I'm going to go back to the beginning. We talked about, about network optimization, data analytics, and, and trend analysis tools. So right now, part of the cloud discussion we had is infrastructure as a service. And, and when you talk about network optimization, uh, I would assume IaaS fits into that discussion. Yes, absolutely, because, yes, well, we're moving more across the wire. So our network has to be able to support the change in our business model. So where we used to have maybe a big pipe, you know, on our local area network, now we have to get to a cloud. And um, and as we start to shift the business model and move more into the cloud, we're going to need more and more bandwidth. So the network optimization, some of that goes back to Internet2, a project that we initiated in 2000. 
2015, and we're now embarking on phase two of the Internet 2 project, uh, which is going to just enrich the, the network um, exponentially. And, and then we have, you know, of course, the optimization that's taking place. You know, in, in, uh, in the last six months, we uh, upgraded 60, all 62 of our firewalls. Um, it was a monumentous lift that we did, um, and we did it. Um, it was pretty much seamless. And, um, and these are just the types of activities that are, that are going on as part of um, another effort that I really haven't talked a lot about or mentioned at all, even on this call. It's our, um, we have a modernization and a stabilization effort underway right now as part of our strategic plan. And we're modernizing and stabilizing. And as we do that, this network optimization is embedded into those two areas. And I definitely want to jump into the modernization stabilization piece. But before I do that, another interesting topic was uh, artificial intelligence. Again, we're seeing this a growing interest in whether it's called AI or machine learning. You, you said you have some tools in place already. You're looking to expand other tools with proofs of concepts. Where does AI fit in from your perspective as the CIO? I think there's definitely um, a place for it at the FDA because the the amount of data that we're trying to mull through is just too complex. There's too much of it. It's too complex. We need to apply um, advanced data analytic tools to um, to it. We can't just correlate data through spreadsheets and and um, and, and torture the scientists like that. Um, so um, I, I hear scientists talk about wanting to go to one click. They want to be able to find their answers with the click of of a mouse. And we're obviously a very long way away from that. But um, what I see the artificial intelligence really doing is complementing the analytic tools that are in place. So the artificial intelligence is, is there to, to help the, um, the machine learning process. And I think data analytics and artificial intelligence are, are two very separate things, but when you couple them together, you can get a very powerful end result. And we've got a couple of products that we're working with where we're coupling. And um, so we've got one system that's going through the data, and then we've got an AI system on top of it that's saying, okay, okay, you've already made that mistake. Don't make that mistake again. We're not, you know, and, and helping that. So just to expand on that just a little tiny bit, there's a lot of really interesting work that's taking place in our innovation lab and across the FDA. And what I've started to do is to work with um, a couple of um, the more energetic scientists uh, here at the FDA um, on kind of a more personalized level. And I'm trying to pair those scientists up with some of, um, some of my strategic partners, um, um, my vendors that I work with, to do more exploratory market research to maybe hone in a little bit closer on the, the requirements that those scientists have um, so we have better requirements translation. And I'm getting my scientists engaged as part of this agile process. And I actually have um, uh, some case studies that I could talk about, um, but I'd have to name names. Interesting. Okay. Well, that's it's a really interesting uh, concept for you guys to, to be pairing the scientists with some of the innovation people. I, I think it's a, it's a model, obviously, not done too often. Todd, Let's take another quick break. We come back. We have the last segment. We have a cybersecurity to talk about. We have cost allocation model to talk about. We could probably talk much more, but uh, we're going to take a break. My guest is Todd Simpson, the FDA Chief Information Officer. I'm your host, Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. 
My guest is Todd Simpson, the Food and Drug Administration's Chief Information Officer. Todd, we were talking about a lot of priorities. We talked about AI. We talked about cloud a lot. Uh, One thing that I definitely want to talk about that you and I have uh, touched upon in the past is something called an IT cost allocation model. I went to a recent White House event where they talked about TBM, Technology Business Management Standards, and, and very similar to what you were talking about with cost allocation is understanding where the cost drivers are within the mission, within the business areas. Talk a little bit more about your progress so far in implementing this cost allocation model. This is a big part of what we do here. I've talked about the the, the federated environment. So we are a true service provider. All of our services are services that our customer is not only asking for, but is paying for. So we created a chargeback model uh, by which we could bill our customers uh, for those services. And what we're trying to do is evolve that chargeback model into a true fee-for-services model. So very much like uh, when you turn a water spigot on, you turn it on, you pay for the water that comes out, you turn it off, you stop paying. And we've made significant investments into processes, people, and technology to bring this fee-for-service model to fruition. Now, we're a long way from achieving that fee-for-service model, that true fee-for-service model, because we have to still implement technologies that do true software metering. Uh, we have to do more to clean up our cost drivers and to um, to move more from um, a relative to an actual evaluation model. And, and I think that's where TBM really comes and as you mentioned, the technology business management, it's all designed to, um, to basically um, align the agency's IT services with the OMB guidance to get more refined granularity and transparency in our cost drivers and to be able to make better decisions, too, to say, well, if we do this, then we, you, can, you can actually see what your human resource complement is, what your people um, component is in all of your different – it's like a menu-driven approach. And from what I've seen, I don't think we're going to be able to take the next step without implementing the technology business management methodology. That being said, I think that we were on that pathway before TBM became the next hot acronym. We were moving toward that. We have a really great CFO at the FDA, and he's been moving us toward this working capital fund model. And in preparation for that, we've been doing a lot of groundwork. We've been you know, evolving this chargeback model, refining cost drivers, developing service level agreements, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, we've just been doing a ton of work to achieve that nexus point for that uh, working capital fund, which we were hoping to see in, in 2018. But you know, whenever we achieve that, that's irrelevant. We have to push forward for that fee-for-service, and it's it's not going to be possible without TBM, I don't think. So one of the things that was interesting at the recent White House event was this idea of you got to start. Your data may not be great. Your data may be pretty bad, actually, but you got to start. you got to start small and start somewhere. Talk a little bit about where you guys have already started, maybe looking at this cost recovery piece, maybe not the full-on fee-for-service, but where have you guys said, okay, we're going we're gonna to begin using the data and see what we get? This is kind of an opportunity to brag, but I wish I, I could take all the credit. I just simply can't. Uh, when, when I arrived at the FDA in 2015, I was 
totally impressed with the chargeback model that was in place. I've never seen its equal. So uh, a lot of groundwork had um, had been done um, before my arrival to, to come up with um, the, the chargeback model and, and to do the cost driver refinement and the most important piece to work with the customers to get them to accept, um, you know, the cost drivers with all of their flaws because no model is perfect. And at the end of the day, our customers are just like any other customer. They don't want to pay for anything. They want to get things as cheap as possible, and, and I can't fault them for that. They help keep us honest, and they push us toward this balanced approach. So I inherited a lot of wet clay. Let's just put it that way. I also inherited a phenomenal individual to run the program, and I'll name his name. His name is Joe Montgomery, and um, he is just exceptional. And so he works tirelessly with his team to constantly refine this model. He's he's all over it. And the emergence of the TBM as, a, as an actual model that, uh, that OMB is behind is just – it's an opportunity, and I think that it's just the natural evolution of the direction we're heading in with Fatara. How can we implement Fatara if we don't move closer to this TBM model where we have true uh, transparency? I guess what I was also looking for, Todd, is you guys have started to apply the chargeback model. You've already started to look at different areas within the services that the CIO's office provides. Where are you seeing the impact happening? We know our problem areas, I think, really well now. And and, um, and that's, you know, probably the best thing that came out of this chargeback model. You have to understand your business um, because your customers are constantly saying, well, why am I being charged this? So we have to constantly refine it because our customers keep us honest. So we've had to delve down into that, and we, we know what our end-of-life investments are. We know where we need reinvestment. And in fact, large part of this, you know, as we're watching all these different areas, I talked about high-performance computing before. Well, here, you know, I mentioned three different uh, distinct high-performance computing environments, three environments that did not have reinvestment strategy tied to them. So we need to use this cost model to align the investments and to basically get ourselves in a position where um, we don't have to come up with millions of dollars without notice. Fascinating. I know that this is a hot topic for every CIO, so it's good to see that you're maybe a little bit ahead of the, the game and people maybe can come track you down and, and ask for some help. Todd, we're almost out of time. Before I let you go, I definitely want to touch upon cybersecurity, another major challenge for every CIO. When you got to uh, the FDA, as you said, in 2015, there was a lot of uh, work to be done, and you guys are making a, a ton of great progress around closing some recommendations. Talk about where you're at with that effort, and then also roll into also the Continuous Diagnostics and Mitigation Program. I know you're part of that through the, the larger effort through HHS. Give me an update on that program as well. We fixed all 15 of the major security concerns identified by the GEO, and we addressed over 80% of the other recommendations. So we're making tremendous headway on that. And, um, and my uh, chief information security officer, officer would um, will give me um, a hard time if I don't say that um, it's important to note that the FDA has not experienced a major cybersecurity-related breach that's exposed industry proprietary information or public health information. That's his um, that's his um, phrase. He makes me say it everywhere I go. And um, and regarding um, the move into CDM. Um, 
very proud to say that we're currently um, in phase two of implementing um, the continuous diagnostic monitoring program. And uh, and and just a, an asterisk on that. Um, I'm very, very um, proud to say that we have had to, because of the cloud, exceed some of the capabilities of the CDM toolbox. Uh, you know, when the when the cloud first strategy came out um, several years ago, and CDM came about, um, you know, people I don't think could fathom um, the requirements ahead. You know, the need to look at um, um, the data that's traversing um, the network, and um, and I think the original CDM toolbox um, 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 had some gaps in it, and um, and we're now um, at a point where we're fortifying our infrastructure because of the, the movement into the cloud, and we've been um, um, putting some really cool tools in place um, to complement CDM to make our environment even better and more secure. All right, very good, Todd. I know we could talk a lot longer, but unfortunately, we are out of time. I'd like to thank my guest, Todd Simpson, the Food and Drug Administration's Chief Information Officer. Todd, we're going to have to have you come back on uh, another time very soon. But for now, we're done. So thank you for your time. Thank you very much for having me. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Subscribe to this show on Podcast One or iTunes. on the professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts to recommend the best products for your vehicle and budget. Get maximum cooling system performance for 10 years or 300,000 miles with Peak Long Life Universal Pre-Mixed Antifreeze and Coolant. Now just $3.99 after mail-in rebate. Limit supply. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit O'ReillyAuto.com. Oh, oh.